Welcome from Euractive. I'm Luca Bertuzzi, Digital and Media Editor, and this is the Digital Brief Podcast. This week we look at the Digital Markets Act, DMA, from the perspective of a big tech company. For an overview on all things digital in the EU and beyond, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Digital Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Adam Cohen, Director of Economic Policy at Google. Hello, Adam. Good morning. So first of all, we have heard a lot uh, talking about the DMA and the need to regulate big tech uh, in Brussels. Could you please explain us uh, your perspective on the DMA? Sure. Well, I think the Digital Markets Act is is an important piece of, of legislation that is going to set in place new rules and and obligations for a handful of technology companies. And depending on how the the final legislation uh, takes shape and is implemented, uh, it could have important consequences for Europe's economy. Fundamentally, the Digital Markets Act is going to affect how products and services are developed in the future and could impact the, the types of new innovative tools and technologies Uh, that we and others are developing and that we make available to European users and businesses. And I think this is why getting the details of the of the DMA right, um, why that is so important. We see ourselves as being a great enabler of Europe's digital economy and the digitalization, the digital transformation of the wider European economy. We've helped hundreds of thousands of businesses across Europe get online for the first time and enable these businesses to to operate across borders seamlessly within the internal market and even beyond. Um, Our tools help small businesses uh, operate as as what we like to think of as micro multinationals. You think of an SMB today, they have access to cloud computing technologies, to digital advertising and, and other productivity tools that a decade ago, were only available to the largest multinational companies. Uh, Google has become a very large, uh, some say very powerful company that controls vast amount of data. And it, it has also a key role in several aspects of the digital economy. Is it correct to call Google a gatekeeper? We understand that with our success uh, and growth, uh, there should be scrutiny, and I, I think that that's a that's a normal part of the process. I, I think if you if you're talking about data specifically, I think the key question from a from a competitive standpoint, from a competition policy standpoint, is really does Google have data that is totally unavailable to rivals? If you look at how data in the digital economy works, um, new businesses. Uh, particularly with cloud computing tools, particularly with um, open source uh, AI tools like those that we provide, can ingest, acquire, and gain insights from data much more easily and at a much greater velocity than businesses did 20 years ago. I I think Google faced much greater barriers to entering uh, the search business when it started uh, than any small business would today. Maybe that's the case, but Google is not just a search engine anymore. It's it's much larger than that. It has 
the most used web browser. It has uh, the first, or now maybe with TikTok, the second video sharing platform, computing, uh, cloud computing services you were mentioning, uh, one of the two main uh, operating systems for smartphones, internet services uh, such as Gmail or Google Fiber. So the capacity to put together all this data, isn't it quite unique? I mean, it's quite difficult to argue that uh, the other companies have the same access. Any other company could go out and build an email client. They can build a video sharing service. The key question is, can you invest in it and differentiate your product and compete effectively because you attract Consumers And if I look at the digital economy today, um, there are a range of new, let's take video sharing, for example. There are a range of new services that have entered the market and become wildly successful, even though Google existed. TikTok, for example, uh, Snapchat, these new services that didn't have any data the day that they started. They, they started with a good idea. They attracted consumers and, and users um, through their, their new technologies and, and, and differentiated ways of doing things and were able to be successful. That's, a, that's a, a, a very healthy competitive process that sets a high bar for innovation, uh, but certainly uh, is, is one where, where new entrants with good ideas can be successful. The argument I hear often from uh, European tech companies is that the DMA is necessary because big tech companies uh, like Google, for example, use their um, market position in a certain sector, such as search engine, for, and uh, leverage that market power, leverage their superior insights on uh, consumer data to expand continuously in new and new parts of the internet economy. What is your reply to that? I've heard this complaint made over the years, uh, for example, from online travel companies that said uh, back in 2010, when Google started investing seriously in delivering better information about flights and hotels and, 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 and travel, they said that if Google is able to enter this space, that because of Google's position, uh, they will not be able to compete. The, it will extinguish their business. 10, 11 years later, um, we've invested heavily in this space and the online travel companies, the online travel aggregators that complained about this and said it was an existential threat, they're still the largest players in the market by far. Uh, they face more competition today than they, they used to because of our investments, because of our efforts to improve products for users. But that's the kind of competition you want to encourage, not to tell a certain segment of the economy, oh, you are online travel operators, no one should enter your space. One of the things that uh, catches the attention of regulators for uh, very large companies such as Google is that uh, you continue to expand in uh, an increasing number of domains and there is also the aspect of uh, killer acquisitions in this regard there was a huge debate uh, when google wanted to and is finalizing the acquisition of fitbit is there an expectation from the market for your shareholders as well that you always need to grow and you always need to expand in new services the expectation is that we 
develop great technologies and deliver great products and services to, to consumers and that we remain cutting edge. Last year, Google invested almost $28 billion in research and development. This is not a company that's resting on its laurels. It is a company that is, that is continuously looking for ways to improve already successful products and to develop new ones. You, you raised this point about acquisitions, and this term killer acquisitions comes from the pharmaceutical sector. What they were doing was buying these companies and then shutting them down. And so the idea that the technology sector or that Google is doing this, I think you have to look at the evidence and really judge us based on how we have acquired companies and grown through acquisitions and how we've invested in these companies. I'll give you a couple examples. You mentioned YouTube earlier. YouTube was barely able to survive when we bought it in 2005. There were 70 people. We've invested heavily in YouTube. We got rid of a lot of... Uh, bad material. We cleaned up the site and we made it a successful, innovative product. Android is similar. Android had, I think, less than 10 employees uh, when, we, when we acquired Android. They didn't have a product in the market. And because of our investments, because of our, our work combining expertise from a few engineers who worked for Android or worked, who started Android, with Google's technology and Google's Google's uh, vision for what an open source, free of charge operating system could be, we combine that to to, to make a very very successful uh, phone and, and 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 mobile computing ecosystem. And I think that's the opposite of of the, a killer acquisition. What is your message to the policymakers that are now working on the DMA? What are the main uh, improvements that you think should be made? We should be cautious about rules that are overly rigid that will prevent those types of innovative, uh, the innovative approaches and evolution of technology products and services. It's really hard to look into the future, but... I think if we're uh, working on legislation that's going to implement very specific changes to a handful of technology products, I think we should maintain some degree of flexibility, um, some, some ability to look uh, at the rules and how they're applied and use our best judgment. How those rules are implemented is, uh, is, is really the, the, the critical question here. And we want the responsibilities for large tech companies to be clearly articulated and also to have the opportunity to have a, a dialogue with regulators and the enforcers of the Digital Markets Act about how those rules should be applied. In many cases in the development of new technologies and, and new services, um, they're trade-offs. Indeed, that's one of the proposals on the table. However, there are those that fear that this dialogue could be a way for uh, the companies subject to these obligations to buy time and, for instance, go ahead with their, let's say, non-competitive uh, actions. European uh, law is, is well-equipped to address that. It's not to say that they're... Um, there shouldn't be fast enforcement and clarity about how the rules are developed. We're strongly supportive of that, but there needs to be room for making judgment calls and for understanding the difference between a competitor that says, Google's competing with me, I don't like it, and I think it's unfair, and a legitimate competitive process that leads to more innovation, better products and services, 
what I would strongly encourage is that the Digital Markets Act uh, include some opportunity for a look at the facts and the evidence. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Digital Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on all digital things in the world of European politics and policy. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. <music>